Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Yeah, I think we're, we're equipped to do a lot of different things. And I think... Um, <clears throat> I think Shane's world and, and, and also kind of where we're continually evolving what we want to be able to do and all the pieces that we have and all the guys that we have, it's really cool because I think that um, obviously we can take our shots, we can do the mid-range game, we can do the quick game, we can run the ball extremely well. He's dangerous. And those are his thoughts on his former OC, Shane Waldron. Let's learn more from an old friend, shall we? It's been a long time since we've spoken with our guy, Sage Rosenfels, a former 12-year NFLer, part of the QB Collective. He's on Twitter at Sage Rosenfels 18 and he's on the Circus Sports Illinois Score Hotline, twitch.tv slash Chicago670. The Score, how you been? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, digging out from snow I'm at my parents' place uh, over in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, trying to clear the driveway. Um, that's how I'm doing, uh, today. And of course, uh, following all the coaching carousel that goes around uh, the NFL about this time of year. Well, so what do you think of Shane Waldron? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I first met him at a quarterback collective event, probably around 2017. Uh, I think, um, I believe Justin Fields might've been a senior and going into a senior in high school. He was the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, I know there's conversation, of course, in Chicago with him and, of course, Caleb Williams as well. And I think Caleb was maybe an eighth grader or a ninth grader uh, at that time. So they were both there. And, you know, I met this guy, you know, and my, you know, history goes back, of course, way back uh, to like the sort of the Houston Texans where Kyle Shanahan I, I played for and, and Matt LaFleur and Mike McDaniel, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans we drafted that year. So uh, it's amazing how much that coaching tree has just continued to grow and grow and grow. And when I first met Shane Waldron at that camp, you know, I didn't know him. I didn't know who he really was, but I knew he had worked for, was working for, you know, Sean McVay at the time. And uh, maybe he was a passing game coordinator and sort of working his way up that tree, but just great conversations about like how much he had learned from the previous places he had been to what he knew just after, you know, a year or so of being with Sean McVay. And, you know, that coaching staff had a, a lot of great coaches on it. Uh, uh, of course, um, you know, in, uh, in LA at that time, Matt LaFleur was there, uh, Zach Taylor was there. Uh, so, you know, he was just sort of getting his start into like the higher levels of NFL coaching and thought he was a great guy. Watched him uh, sort of install plays and do some coaching uh, on the video in front of all these top, you know, high school kid quarterbacks. And, you know, I was impressed. I was like, all right, this guy's got a future in the National Football League. He can coach and very likable guy. And of course, I've got to know him a little bit here and there over the years of the combine, you have a beer with them, talk about the different offenses and the evolution of the game, but also the, you know, the, the type of football that's maybe not evolutionary, but it's just a winning football. And I feel like that's what he coaches uh, the, in his style of coaching in this whole sort of world of this sort of Shanahan, Kubiak, you know, whatever tree is really, I feel like he has really good high quality winning uh, concepts, winning style uh, of football. That's the way he coaches. It may not be flashy. It may not be uh, something where he's going to lead the league 
uh, in passing yards and things like that. But I feel like it's, again, it's, it's, it's winning football. And I think that's really, really, really important. I'd love to know what your philosophy is on, on game flow, like play calling. Cause it was one of my biggest issues with Luke Getzey is that it felt like his scripts were really great. And then once the game got going, you got past the first 15 or first 20, that there was a struggle. So from your experience, what have the best play callers done to build as a game is going on and recognize what a defense is, is doing and attacking it? Yeah, it's always interesting as you go into a game, you make you, you see what you have on film. Most most teams you watch for maybe up to six games of their previous uh, uh, games and, and you sort of break everything down based off of the more recent things, right? Because players get hurt. There's no reason in week 16 to be watching week one because a lot of times it's an entirely different teams in a lot of ways. And so you're looking at coverages, you're looking at blitzes, you're looking at fronts, but then you go, okay, well, how do you think they're going to play us? And you don't really know until the game starts. You make your sort of best bet. That's why you have this giant package of football plays because you don't really know exactly what the defense is going to do. And, you know, as, as I don't know, someone once said, you know, uh, we're all pretty good until we get hit in the face. And it's a lot of times it's sort of like that with play calling. We're all pretty good at the beginning when you could sort of script everything, you know, exactly uh, what you want to do, but then you don't know what the defense is going to do as that game progresses. And so you have to, you know, adjust. And so, no, it's a, it's a really important aspect of being a play caller. Uh, timing is an important aspect of being a play caller. Of course, understanding all the little intricacies of players who are hurt and players on the other team and, you know, they might have their fifth fifth cornerback in because two guys are hurt and, you know, who's got, how are we going to get a matchup of our best player, our best receiver on that fifth cornerback? I mean, there's a lot that sort of goes into really good play calling and uh, it's not all that easy. It's, it's easy, of course, from our couches and how we just sort of watch games and been like, man, they should have done this. But of course, there's a lot that goes into decide what, what play to call on that giant call sheet. Bears offensive line coach Chris Morgan survived the purge and remains in his job, which I find significant for a team to say, no matter who our coordinator is, no matter what we're running, this guy is going to be the offensive line coach. So obviously when somebody interviewing knows they're inheriting that, it, it will will color the tenor of that discussion. The Bears have run zone. They've run like Mike Shanahan tree outside zone, Alex Gibbs, a lot of stretch cutback kind of stuff. What is the significance in your mind with this marriage? Now that we know who it is melding the Shanahan stuff, the McVeigh stuff. I imagine that the bears know enough about his relationship with the line or who they think they're going to have. What does it mean that this really important subgroup is already taken care of? Yeah, I think on a coaching staff, you've got the head coach, you've got the, the the three coordinators, special teams, offense, defense, and then for me, the offensive line coach. Like that, he is right up there as far as most important coaches on the staff. They're they're coaching. I think the the most other than maybe quarterback, of course, the most difficult positions. You're coaching five guys to basically be perfect on dang near every play against athletes on the other side that are insane, that are just world class. Uh, uh, beast over there. And, and they so have to know really, the whole playbook. They have to know that, run and pay, they have to know every single play in the playbook perfectly. That's right. And and, uh, and all the adjustments and the different fronts and the protections and, 
you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of work that goes in there. And, you know, I, I played for five teams in my career and I can tell you the challenges when a new offensive line coach comes in with a completely different scheme and the way they call things. And, you know, there's a lot of R words and L words, rights and lefts, and everyone has their sort of own way of doing it. But to keep that consistent, in my opinion, is a major win for this offensive line and, and this offense and really the whole team is as long as the head coach liked this guy and thought he was good um, to keep that guy in place. And then uh, uh, obviously to have a coordinator that sounds like their two styles match up, that's a big win because it is really hard to sort of start over from scratch and completely new learn new languages, new footwork, sometimes just little things. But if you can keep, those guys consistent, they will improve over time. Those developmental guys that may have been on the practice squad last year, backups, they're going to be now in that same system. Rather than learning something new, they're in that same system so they can really refine the things they already know and really become the, the best versions of themselves as far as offensive line. Sage, we're living in a space now where almost all of the quarterbacks that are coming up have an athletic component to their game. What's important from your point of view when trying to figure out if the play callers and offensive coordinators that you hire can work with dual threat quarterbacks? Well, they're all different. I mean, Brock Purdy is sort of a dual threat quarterback. He's extremely, he's a great scrambler, but he definitely isn't Lamar Jackson. Definitely isn't, you know, Justin Fields as far as a guy who can take off and run 30 or 70 yards. Right. So to me, that sort of scrambling component, it, it, there's there's plays that it really helps, you know, third and twos or inside the 10 yard line where I think it's worth putting your quarterback a little bit of risk on the right types of sort of run run options, you know, plays where you can hand it off or run it him, themselves like a zone read, you know, type of thing. But to me, really, it's about just buying a little more time and the, and the, the ability to sort of move around the pocket. Uh, create some space with the defensive line and the linebackers who are blitzing and just buy a little more time because it's really, really hard just to drop back and throw it to guys who are open on time. You know, I don't know what the percentage is, but it seems like well over half the time the quarterback has to get off his post there in the back and move around uh, to find some sort of open, open throwing lane, open spot in the pocket to make a clean, accurate throw. And so to me, it's more about just the movement in the pocket uh, and then those occasional times where let's take advantage of this guy's ability to run uh, again, like, you know, some sort of third and short fourth down. Uh, and of course, you know, inside the, the 10 yard, inside the five yard line where, you know, touchdowns are, are so important and to have that quarterback that can run to score touchdowns in the red zone is like having an extra player on offense. Sage, I've been focusing a lot lately on center play in large part because the bears have been bad at it for a while and I look around and I watch Frank Ragnow and Creed Humphrey and Tyler Linderbaum and Jason Kelsey. And I see the difference between someone really good at it and someone not is stark for somebody who's just watching the game on my level. Who's the best center you ever played with? And how significant is that position value over replacement in modern NFL offense? Man, the best center I ever played with. Um, that's a great question. Uh, when I was the New York Giants, um, I think, you know, Chris Snee, not, not Chris Snee, but uh, uh, Sean O'Hara was our center for about the first six games, and he had been to multiple Pro Bowls. And, you know, that that offensive line that Eli Manning had, 
what a blessing for him. It pretty much stayed the same for like five or six years, like literally, and even the backups, uh, you know, the sixth and seventh guys, they were sort of all the same. And so someone would go out and a guy who had been there for four or five years would just pop in. Um, so it, it was, it was Sean O'Hara, but then Richie Soybert, uh, who's actually, a uh, a, you know, into Western Illinois, small school. I don't think he was drafted six foot two. He was an awesome center too. And what I really learned over time is, you know, you love having huge offensive linemen, but the centers that are sort of squatty and smaller, they can create great leverage, uh, on the def on the defensive linemen, get underneath their pads. Cause you know, most of those defensive tackles are six foot five, 330 pounds, and they're going to be bigger than your center most of the time. But if you can be underneath their pads and have great leverage, great footwork, uh, and, and, you know, usually centers are working with either one of the guards, the right guard, the left guard on some sort of double team. So those combination blocks are sort of everything for a center. Mm -hmm. You usually don't ask them to block a guy all themselves. There's usually a little bit of a combination. So it's that chemistry between the center and the guards uh, but also there's the centers that really understand the deep X's and O's of the game, run game, pass game, protections, the ones that really understand the X's and O's. Because then they, if you really understand that, that sort of deeper level of football, then you can anticipate. And to play offensive line and just sort of go, I'm going to block that guy. Well, people are moving all the time. But if you start seeing little keys and little cues, um, it can be really advantageous to give you a competitive advantage to have an idea that, hey, they're going to do this. They're going to stunt this way. They're going to move this way based off of maybe a safety that the center uh, can see. So that's why you see guys like Jason Kelsey play for a long, long time and play great football in year 10 plus because they've just gained so much knowledge on all those little cues. It helps them anticipate and it makes them and the other guys around them much better players. Sage, the Bears have a choice on what to do at the quarterback spot. I, I know how I feel about it, and I know that, that it's going to be a debate among Chicagoans for a long time. With Justin Fields and what you saw this season, is there something there? Because I, I keep saying there's something there, and then the question kind of becomes, can it ever be realized? So from what you saw on tape, what do you think of him? And it, have you changed, like, maybe what you think his ceiling might be? Well, you know, I, I think as a someone who watches a lot of quarterback play, the hard part is I only can see the tangibles. I only can see arm strength and athleticism. Um, I can see how they move around the pocket. Uh, I can see these sort of tangible things and Justin Fields has great tangibles what I can't see are all the intangibles what I can see is uh, how the team reacts to how he plays and and how he moves and how he may or may not be able to change protections or really take full command of the offense and how the offensive coordinator may have to do things that maybe counteract some of the weaknesses of a quarterback as a fan just you know me just like you you can't see those things. You don't know those things unless you're really, really in it. And so, you know, from a physical capability standpoint, man, he's got impressive characteristics, but, you know, obviously that hasn't turned into a lot of wins for the Chicago bears. And that's, you know, that's very, very frustrating. You do see these, these sort of sparks of like, Oh my God, what an, an incredible player. Uh, but, you know, Tom Brady won a lot of Super Bowls and didn't have all those insane tangible numbers. What he had is an absolute control of the entire game offensively and defensively and a deep understanding of the game 
an insane accuracy and a really, really quick release. And that's probably one thing I don't see out of Justin is a really, really quick release and ability to sort of throw when someone's sort of in his lap. Uh, he's a pretty dang good throw when he's on rhythm and things are good. But when things start breaking down, some of his accuracy stuff sort of goes away and the really, really good ones stay accurate and, you know, pump up my guy Brock Purdy from Iowa State. But man, that kid does not have a strong arm. He is not fast. He's sort of quick and squatty, but his accuracy is insane. And his ability to anticipate is absolutely insane. I mean, I watch occasionally Steve Young talk about Brock Purdy and you can just tell Steve is, you know, one of the all-time great quarterbacks and he is just like enamored with how impressive this kid is. And, you know, that that is hard to just, you know, sort of see. Um, and I've, I haven't seen some of those sort of anticipation throws where he's just sort of thrown into these windows, knowing his receiver is going to be there without sort of seeing him open first and Justin sort of fires it in there. I feel like uh, uh, Brock does such a great job of anticipating. And that's something that, you know, Justin Fields, doesn't do quite as well as some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Can can that be fixed with reps, or is that something that you, you kind of have it or you don't? It's a great question. I think it's that's like the question that everyone asks when they're talking about quarterback play is like, can you fix, can you make a quarterback a great anticipator? And uh, I know for just my own personal experience, uh, the longer I was in the league, the better I got as far as just understanding who's going to be open and why and throwing balls into windows, basically blindly, just knowing that based off of the couple little things that I saw that my guy is going to be there and, and, and it's going to be on time and I don't actually have to see him open. Um, you know, it's interesting with Shane Waldron coming from the Seattle Seahawks, right? Geno Smith is up there, second round draft pick of the Jets is a total flop in New York. Everyone thinks this guy stinks. He's not going to be a good NFL player. He sort of falls back into that backup role. And then, you know, after years and years and years, and he, you know, and he gets to year seven, year eight, year nine, gets as another opportunity to sort of be the guy and plays really high quality football. Like there actually is this thing called development that, you know, we don't like to really uh, uh, think is a real thing, but, you know, we like to have a guy come in and play year one, year two, and he's just awesome. And, more often than not, it just takes time to develop. And, uh, you know, is he going to develop and to be one of those quarterbacks that can really anticipate and throw a ball off his back foot blindly into the perfect window on a dagger route coming backside? I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of that yet. Uh, I haven't seen as well as some of the other great quarterbacks in the league. I've seen some of it, but I haven't seen that uh, enough yet. But my question is, I wonder if being that Shane has been in this sort of situation before, if he can raise Justin's level to be that type of quarterback, uh, to be a sort of a better anticipator, I guess we won't know until until we see it. If he wants to, or maybe he said, "Hey, get me Caleb Williams." Right, right. I'll quick release. You know, yeah, get me, get me Caleb Williams. I'm not even going to bother with Justin Fields. I mean, I mean, C- Caleb has. Uh, he said, known this kid for a long time. Um, he really, in my opinion, he does have all that it uh, that you're looking for. Uh, you know, we always talk about can't miss prospects and, and things like that. But um, he does have that sort of anticipation thing. I think he tries to fire the ball probably too hard uh, sometimes and probably could take some off and have a little bit more touch. But um, he does an incredible job uh, of, of anticipating from, from what I've seen, you know, at USC and at Oklahoma as a very, very young guy. So, you know, we used to do this test with quarterback collective where we sort of measure 
these other elements. It's not smarts. It's not a wonderlick. It's nothing like that. But his ability for for players to sort of um, to sort of anticipate, uh, to sort of see things before they actually happen. Uh, there's these tests that were developed originally, actually, for like Alzheimer's patients. Uh, these sort of um, um, you know how much can you uh, uh, see that's sort of not there. I know it's, it's sort of hard to describe. And I know Caleb Williams uh, was phenomenal uh, with that, as was Drake May, the kid out of North Carolina. I, when I first met Drake May, I'm like, this kid's going to be it. I saw, I did a camp where I was, had him with the Ohio State kid uh, next to each other. And I could just see that the kid that just transferred to Syracuse, I, I could just see the difference. And I was like, one kid's going to Ohio State, so he must be a top quarterback. And this kid's going to North Carolina, Drake May. He must be pretty good too. And man, I could just, there is just something about the way Drake May is uh, as a person and the way he moved and the way he threw and his quick release. And um, that I just knew he was going to be uh, a top draft pick someday. And here we are. He'll probably be the number two pick in the draft coming up in May. Sage, great catching up, man. Uh, continued good health to you and your family. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's Sage Rosenfels, longtime friend of the show. Terrific. Really good stuff in there. there, there there's a lot. Yesterday, one of the prominent radio sports voices in Seattle was on with Danny Parkins, and he had very strong <laughs> thoughts about Shane Waldron. Yes, he did. Very strong thoughts about the Bears' new offensive coordinator. So you're going to want to hear that next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Hope. Jason Goff is here in studio with us. We go from Zion Williamson, John Morant, <laughs> to spinning on finely tailored suits. Hey. Like getting yelled at for dancing. <laughs> on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The Bernstein and Holmes show at its finest. Yeah, right it's here. what we do, Jay. It's what we're doing over here. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> now, you're going to hear about it. Who's this? This is Tool. This song came out in uh, 2006, 2007. This was the last song I would listen to before every football game my senior year. Yeah, I could, I could hear that. I, I can't imagine you as – I mean, I can imagine you as a football player. Like, but this is, a, this is also a good, like, hit the rink, like – First on the ice yeah, it'd song. Be, it'd be perfect like, for like when you're bringing your team out. Right, right after they dump the pucks out and then come out to this. What's the name of this song? Uh, Jambi. G- J-A-M-B-I. I like this. Boog. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that, that's a that's a good <laughs> it's a good hit the ice song. Like right when they start in with the circles and you know the goalies over scraping the crease. I like it. Are you are were you doing like headbutts and stuff? No, was. I wasn't that crazy. Okay. The the guy that whose locker was right next to me kind of was. So, but I mean, we, I don't know. I don't know how to describe myself as, I, I was never like, you, you might think that I was like super crazy, but I wasn't. Mm. It was more tamed. You're I mean, pretty. Once, a, I, once I got into the game. Yeah. I, you strike me as a guy that I, that I'd have to come over and like pull off the pile. 
Meanwhile, the, the drumming on that song is pretty tight. Yeah. Is Tool's drummer known for being really good? Danny Carey, yeah, he's one of the best drummers alive. Because that's that that's that's good like math stuff there. And I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm no drummer, but I, I watch videos occasionally just because I think it's really cool. I think you may have nailed it. Like this is a good bring your NHL team out onto the ice. That's, that's what it's you know the the best of all time for that in my estimation. Fallout Boy. No, it is it is it is dog food total cheese. But there's no question. There is a definitive number one song. New York, New York. For your hockey team hitting the ice. No. Bone crusher. No. Cheesy. Think, absolute. Total, Don't stop believing. No, no, no. Chelsea I, it, Dagger, my friend. No, no. It's, it's hard rock. And I wouldn't. Jump? I, nope. Harder. I, but same era. I, I wouldn't go out of my way to really, like, listen to it. And apparently now they still tour, and they're just so horrible. The lead singer can't sing, and they can't really play their instruments anymore. Jump. No, but there is. Well, yeah, but there, there is, there's no the best Hit the Ice song. All right, what you got? Motley Crue Kickstart My Heart. Okay. Like, the moment that riff kicks in, that is absolutely... And I'm like I'm not saying it's a good song. Yep. It sounds like the Road Warriors. What a rush! Chicago Zone. Yep. That that's the moment. The moment the coach throws all the pucks out there, and then they're they're out in in, in, oh, in, the, in the speed circle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely got a hockey vibe. I, 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 oh yeah, because it's white. Well, <laughs> of course it is. That's all right. Of course, I, I always laugh because Jason's music before he would it was always Eric B and Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, what? Public Enemy, and then the moment the game starts, it's Motley Crue, ACDC, etc. I so. I always enjoy like the teams that I covered, like asking those guys like, what it is that they listen to, and it got to a point where I I was so surprised. I was like. Oh, my perception of football players is wrong. A lot of guys listen to softer music before they go play. What is, is he? Go, go to class. No, this is, no, this is Shane Reardon. Oh, he says, as a former college hockey DJ, I was just screaming, "Kickstart my heart!" at the television. Wait, Shane was a former college hockey DJ. I guess where DJ Pucks. I I, I don't know. He said Pucks. I did. With the point. <laughs> I now I need that story from Shane. Wait, the Wolves use Kickstart My Heart? Yeah. Well, I mean, Thunderstruck is obviously good too. Thunderstruck. <sighs> Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. The Blackhawks used to use that, but it, Ted Nugent is just so odious. Now, all. now you could use T Pain's War Pigs. I don't think it's hard enough. Really? It's it's not. It's there's too much vocal. I don't know, man. I I think that 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 goes pretty hard. No, I could see it. If you if you skip the intro exactly. and just start with the vocal, I think that goes pretty hard. Seven seven three says that's the last thing you hear before your friend gets your bachelor party kicked out of the strip club. What? <laughs> that's that's very good. Uh, all right, let's hear some uh, Dave Softy Mahler 
and his thoughts. Do you like Shane Waldron? Okay. He's boring. He's got no personality. He's kind of a he's kind of milk toast, right? I mean, I don't I don't look at Shane Waldron and see a future leader of men. Now that could obviously potentially change down the road. There's no question about that. He could come out of his shell at some point in time. But every conversation I've had with Shane and guys, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the guy's a jerk at all. He, he's fine, right? He's a nice enough guy. He was he was fine to me. I got no beef with the guy, but. If you're looking for a future head coach, you're looking for somebody who commands a room, and that is not Shane Waldron whatsoever. So I'm what? not looking for a future head coach. I'm yeah, looking what? for an offensive coordinator. What? Also, also, I will say okay. that just because, like, for example, we have the perfect example of this. I don't think that Matt Eberflus is great in front, in front of a microphone. Clearly, his players think he can command a room because I think it's a big part of the reason that he still has his job is that his players have been like, no, nah, we we rock with flus. So a guy in an interview, like, it's a hard thing to kind of can he run an offense square is the idea of what he sounds like to you in an interview versus what he's like with the players. Now, there are some some coaches who, like I, I bring up Mike Tomlin, like you can tell how Mike Tomlin is because Mike Tomlin is just that all the time. But not everyone is like that. Leadership is fluid, and everyone's style can be different, and it can be okay. The Bears were not looking for a head coach. I don't think if they were looking for a head coach, it would, it would be Matt Eberflus or Shane Waldron. Right. It would be someone else. But can he coach? Can he coach offense? And Sean, John, uh, uh, Josh McDaniels was pretty decent at the microphone. And we saw, like, the Raiders players Hate didn't him. believe in that guy. Hate him. They quit on him. Yeah. He's a bad guy and didn't know what he was doing. He was, he was bad at his job and a bad guy. Both he and Matt Patricia somehow have been these anointed geniuses and have never proven they know anything about anything. Correct. What? They've taken all of the worst parts of Bill Belichick and have amplified it without the success to back it up and without the joy. And there was clear, like, I'm eating a PB&J today because of that joyful Bill Belichick, here's my mom's crazy recipe for PB&J. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand why he's... He why put, it has raisin bread? Well, raisin bread's interesting. It's but it, peanut butter jelly time! Yeah. Peanut butter jelly time! Peanut butter jelly time! Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter Do you actually jelly. have PB&J today? Yeah. Oh, you're half done. All right. A little fuel before the uh, afternoon workout. Where's your baseball bat, Lawrence? It's somewhere around here. Speaking of food, I met my match last night. I, I, you're not going to believe this. I wasn't going to tell you. You went by Popeye's and didn't stop? No. So here's what I did. I was at Mariano's, and I always circle through you know, the pre-made foods, and I look for what's discounted. Of course. And I found two discounted containers of pot roast. Oh. They're usually eleven bucks, and they were six fifty. So you think and take one home, cook it immediately, freeze the other one? No, I eat both. Oh, because they're shrinkflation. They're not what they used to be. Gotcha. The container is the same size. There is about half of what 
is in there that used to be in there. But it's good once you put a lot of uh, the Trader Joe's onion salt on there that it needs because Layla hooked me up to that, and that makes a, a big difference. And I open it up. And I, I was really excited to eat it, and, and I open it up. I'm like, and Beth says, what, what's that face you're making? I said, ah, I'm not sure this is okay. You mean like good to eat? And she goes, what do you mean? I just said, well, it's, it's kind of funky. A little gamey. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's, it's kind of like locker roomy. Yeah, you got to. And, and I said, maybe after I microwave it, it'll be fine. Mm-mm. And she kind of gives me a look like, come on, man. Just throw that away. She said, Sunk costs. She, she said, right, you're not, you can't get your money back. I can't believe you didn't toss it after you had the thought that it was locker roomy. <laughs> yeah, what is what, what are you, locker roomy? I would describe that as a smell. I, I don't thought, understand. I thought, like, I, I thought it'll be fine because it's probably fine. It's not fine. It's, it, was, it probably would have been. It probably wouldn't have been. But she's like, look, just take the L. Mm-hmm. She said, just don't eat it. Don't be an idiot. I'm like, I know, but I bought it. And she's like, I know you're not getting your money back. It's disc. You couldn't take it back, even if you wanted to take it back right now and go over. They're not going to take it back. Imagine, like, I, I want to see you taking it back and saying this is locker room. Locker room. It right. smells locker room. Right. And and she said, like, the, the reason they discounted it. She goes, Why do they discount it? Because they're going to throw it away tonight. Days ago, they were going to throw that away when you bought tonight. it. Tonight. So she's like, Do not eat that. I'm like, Are you sure? It's probably fine. And I, th- I threw it out, and I ordered McDonald's. I think you made a good choice. I did. It was, it was a rare, mature moment for me. And no after effects from eating a little bit of the locker roomy meal. I didn't. I didn't. No, I just smelled it. I didn't. Good. I didn't eat it. Good. Oh, okay. That's what, so that's what I your nose you ate is there bit. for. Yeah, your, I thought your you nose ate is it. there to just, warn you. I thought you ate it and were describing no. the taste as a locker room. No, it was the smell. No, it was just the smell. All right, that makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, that's an immediate toss out, man. If anything smells like a locker room, come on. <laughs> I was just like, eh, probably. And you but, put that nasty thing in your microwave? Come on, Dan. I thought maybe I would microwave it and then the, it would be better. You clean out your microwave and, and, afterwards? And she's like, no, 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 no. That goes down the disposal and you're going to move on with your life. Yeah. So what, now, what was the McDonald's order? It was uh, two McDoubles and two large fries. Solid. It's perfect. And then. Do you ever have. I, I don't know if I've ever seen you drink pop. I never do. Huh. The, I, I no. I, I drink. So when, when they, water, I drink coffee, I drink a little bit of wine, wine and, I, yeah. and I drink some bourbon. So when they ask me. you, like, when you do, like, a meal, do you just never always do a meal. Get, you never do the meal? Never do a meal. Okay. Ever. Because I, I don't. I mean, I, they have bottled water. You can do that, too. I never do it. It's not. I just, I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't drink soft drinks. I, I don't know when I stopped. I just did. I'll drink San Pellegrino, if that counts. But I like San Pellegrino. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I just and as long as I've known you, I don't think I've ever seen you pick up like a can of Coke. Not seeing you do Coke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I no, I don't. I don't. I have not in year many, many, many years. Not a diet Coke. Not a Coke. Not and I just I, I almost never have a taste for something other than water, coffee, or or wine or a spirit. So no juice in there either. No. He's such an interesting person. Juice is just sugar. Not even, like, mixed with something? No. Juice is just sugar. It is. And it's damn good. 
That too. Now, you know what I'm on? The Martinelli apple, apple juice. juice. Oh. It is. I almost bought some yesterday. Oh, it's why is it better? It it I don't they say that it's really just like no sugar added, just pure apple juice. I have no idea. Comes from the freshest squeezed apples. All all I know is that it is freaking delicious and I got I had one when I was out in Arizona like a few weeks ago, and I was like, I must have a case. And I ordered a case, and I still got you know more than half of them left. It's nice to just know they're in my refrigerator. If I want a nice, refreshing apple juice, man, it's quality. I'm glad that you knew that, Ray. They, come in, they come in the nice, clear bottle. Yep. It just it. looks good. I just need to buy some. I haven't bought any in a while. Did you get a text? Yeah, tell me who you think this is from. Okay. Good call by you. I ate some questionable pulled pork a couple years ago and threw up so hard I burst a blood vessel in my eye. It was so loud and violent, my kids still tell people about it as a fun fact. Damn it. Not that. Um, hmm. Jason Leisure. Was it really? <laughs> He can tell us more about it on Thursday at 1 o'clock. I feel so That's bad. That's awesome. I feel so bad for him because he legit, and Jason is one of the brightest people that I know. He legitimately lives in a house with three women who are way smarter than him. It's a great place to be. It is rough sledding for, the, for, for our boy over there. No, it's good. That means you're doing your job. Yep, I agree. High noon is coming up. Uh, I there is an injustice in the Oscar nominations that is irony times irony. I have two people that should have done a collaboration a long time ago finally doing it. What? You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. I'm still stuck, Dan, in trying to figure out what? exactly what it is we do here. <laughs> right? Well, no, that part I've figured it out. There's fart jokes and mascots. That's all is going on here. Bernstein and Holmes. Fart jokes what? and mascots. Middays 10 to 2. <laughs> on 670 The School. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there. Out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? We began this show by talking about that crackling Bulls-Suns game last night. We're going to do more of that next hour with Cody Westerland because Bulls played some terrific basketball, and then they just ran out of steam. They, they're, Nikola Vucevic still somehow can't hit a three-point shot this year. I don't know what is going on with that. And then they were trading their twos for the other team's threes, and and the math and greatness caught them. It was an unbelievable night in the NBA, and we talked about Joel Embiid joining the 70-point scorers club. We heard from a couple of coaches with some high expectations for their teams. Then it was two football. Dave Wanstead's thoughts on Shane Waldron. He seems comfortable, and the Bears seem comfortable with this hire, which makes it a very Bears hire. And Sage Rosenfels broke things down. Softy Muller had some thoughts as well. He of Seattle doesn't think he's a leader of men, or he just says he's boring. I, I don't really care. Can he coach offense? Because that would be great. It's, uh, These two guys 
have needed to collaborate for the last like 30 years. And finally it happened. Warren G and your cousin, Kenny G. Hit it! It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the east. So I could get some phones, rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC. Nice. Warren G and Kenny G. I'm not related to Warren. I'm pretty sure that I mean, there's a there's a better than 50-50 chance that I am shirt tail cousins with Kenny G. Yes. That's why I brought it up. By the way, like if you haven't listened to the like that obviously ain't nothing but a G thing, like all of the stuff that has happened with the P-Funk stuff that Dr. Dre brought and Warren G, who is his half-brother? Yeah, half-brother. That, that, that he took from it has been great. Go listen to Michael McDonald's song that is sampled there. I, I keep forgetting we're not in love anymore. Man. Man. Oh, yeah. That's what a, a, what a that's, great love song. That's a Blue-Eyed Soul classic. Oh, he is, he is the king of Blue-Eyed Soul. But shout-out to Warren G., and Kenny G. We sometimes ask the question, is this irony? I have to update the question for... I don't even know what to ask. Could this be any more ironic? Don't you think? The Oscar nominations are out. And Barbie got a bunch of nominations. But not Margot Robbie for Best Actress and not Greta Gerwig for Best Director. So, like, the message that the movie had played out in the awards part. Then Ryan Gosling did get nominated. And America Ferreira. She did, too. Okay, so that's important. It is important. But Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for Barbie? And it's nominated for Best Picture, and I think it had the second most nominations. Barbie and Oppenheimer, not surprisingly, but how, in God's name, how is it possible that Greta Gerwig could somehow not be nominated for Best Director, other than to make the point of the movie? And if you haven't seen Barbie, it is phenomenal. It's the best time I had, and I, you know, I, I don't go to the theater as much as I used to, and I will see some of these because I'm going to get the SAG screeners, obviously, but the uh, I've seen Barbie three times now. Wow. And I've, I've learned more and found more with every single viewing, and actually Jason pointed something out to me that at one point, if you've seen the movie, all the Kens, when, when, when Ken gets control of Barbie World... They're all they all walk around with with drivers, yes. golf clubs, in in their holsters, so they could just like whack things randomly with their driver. And I didn't notice this until Jason did. It's PXG. Nice. Which as as if if you know like what would be, if you had to pick like what would be the most toxic male d baggiest brand. They did it. I don't know if it's a product placement thing where they would, it just so happened that they bid the most for it, but that is the perfect, just note perfect thing that not only is it a driver, it's PXG. 
I feel bad that, that they weren't it's, nominated. It's brutal. It's just it just it makes the point of the movie. They should just do a video and they they should just go see. Mm-hmm. There it is. <laughs> that is high noon. We do it every day around this time. Coming up, you want to talk some big picture bear stuff? I think we have to. Because we should. We should talk about them and what it is that they're trying to do as opposed to the rest of the division. We'll do that next. It's Bernstein and Holmes. We're here with you until 2 on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.